Okay, First Peter, chapter 5, reading verses 1 through 4. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of the Messiah, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing, uh, overseeing out of compulsion, but freely, according to God's will, not for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you younger men, be subject to the elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd. There is nothing we lack. We shall not want. You lead us to still waters. Your rod and staff comfort us. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Surely your goodness and kindness will follow us. Your covenant love and protection will follow us all the days of our life. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We pray that we would hear his voice this morning and that we would be moved to glorify him and trust him afresh as we meditate on this word. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask now that we would abide in you and that your words would abide in us, for apart from you we can do nothing. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word. And challenge me personally, as this text addresses me directly, and challenge us all, as this is instruction for our church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we will resume Mark next week, but we're in 1 Peter this week. And the reason for that is uh, we had a pastor's conference yesterday at First Baptist Church of Artesia that um, with our associational pastors and some outside of our association as well. We had about 29 pastors there from my own eye count, but I didn't check the registration. So other members who are there might tell me how many pastors were there. But uh, we were talking about pastoral ministry. What is the church and what, what, is, what, is it, what does it mean to shepherd the flock? And so just in light of that, we had a good time. I got to meet some pastors from our association that I had never seen at a meeting before. And it was just great. It was, we, had, we had a good time together um, yesterday. And so I want us to turn our attention because of that to 1 Peter chapter 5. I preached this to the pastors, but I preached to pastors. This is not, this is, I'm not preaching to pastors now. I'm preaching to the church and to myself as a pastor as we look here at this passage. Let me read to you an article that appeared in the Rochester Courier-Journal in 1981. So the, the, the money is a little bit off, but the rest of it is pretty accurate. The article reads like this. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He, condem- he condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight 
And there's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. Above all, he is handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church council and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. Not this church, I guess, or not the church that's reading. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates in one week, you'll receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. And so ends the article. Well, that's a bit humorous. And obviously, you know, it's, it's, a, it's meant to be joking and sarcastic. But 1 Peter 5 is not joking and sarcastic. This is serious. The, the, the passage here is serious. And Peter is addressing who in verse 1? The elders. Peter addresses elders in this passage in verse 1. This is the same office as pastor or, or overseer. If you look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says to the elders to shepherd the flock. Now, shepherd, what's another word for shepherd? Anybody know? Pastor. Pastor and shepherd is the same word in Greek. We have two words in English, but just one word in Greek. Uh, in terms of the noun or the verb, a pastor is a shepherd. So if someone is pastoring all day the sheep, you could be a literal pastor, and you're pastoring sheep in the field. That's what a pastor is, a shepherd. And so you could also compare 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. The qualifications for a pastor or for an elder are the same qualifications for an overseer or what historically has been mistranslated bishop. When we think of bishop, we're not thinking of a pastor of a local church. We're thinking of a, a man in a hierarchy over many churches, but, but the word is just for a pastor of one church. Now, some might say, well, is this even Baptist? And it, well, I mean, first of all, it's in the Bible, but it is Baptist. Our Baptist faith and message, 2000 and 1963, say this, the scriptural officers of the church are pastors and deacons. Okay, so far, so good. But the 1925 Baptist faith and message, which doesn't disagree with the, the current one on this point, it says, the scriptural officers of the church are bishops or elders and deacons. So if you take the 1925 and the, the current one, it's right, bishops or elders or pastors, that's all the same office, okay? A pastor is an elder, is an overseer, uh, or bishop, if you like that old, old word for it that's uh, mistranslated, and deacons. So here in this passage, Peter is addressing pastors, pastors of local churches. Now you might think, but I'm not a pastor, why are we studying this passage? True, you might not be a pastor, but you know it's in the Bible, right? I mean, we just read it. Steve just read it. And if it's in the Bible, who's it for? It's for us, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. So this is for all of us. 
All of the Bible is, is food for our souls. And so that's one reason why we're going to study this. The second reason is you'll know how to pray for me as your pastor. And you can pray for other people, uh, other pastors as well. Uh, you'll have some text to hold me accountable to. Pastors don't have free reign. They are under authority of God. They can't do whatever they want. The Bible instructs and has certain guidelines. And, and churches are to hold their pastors accountable to those guidelines and to, to those commands. And you might recognize other pastors in this church to come alongside to help. I, I know before I, before I came here, there were two pastors in the church, I understand. There was an associate or an assistant pastor who was not staff, and then one that was on staff. And that's, that fits within the New Testament pattern. Okay, It's not required, but it, it certainly fits. It's certainly within good order. And not only that, you're going to have to replace me one day. Now that day might come soon if I die. Right? It's a plan for man to die once, then comes judgment and i don't know if i'm gonna even make it till tonight i might die this afternoon and you'll have to replace me eventually you're gonna every church is gonna have to replace their pastors eventually so it's good for churches to know what the bible teaches on this topic now if you're not a christian you're saying whoa what am i doing here um this is just so you know erudite and for for the church well if you're not a christian it still might be interesting you know why because there are so many non-christian books on leadership what is a good leader, right? That, that whole genre of book has blown up over the past two decades in terms of what leadership books are. And so it's good to know what the Bible teaches about leadership. There are principles here that apply to all leaders, even if you're leading your home. And so it's good for us to look at this, this passage. One more reason why this is good. It says in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it has the qualifications for the pastor. And you know what most of those qualifications are? Character qualifications. It's about their godliness. It's about their holiness. It's about integrity. And you know what? When you look at all of those qualifications, you know what all of those qualifications are required of? Every Christian. It says a pastor is not to get drunk. Does that mean if you're not a pastor, you can get drunk? No. It says the pastors have self-control. Does that mean if you're not a pastor, you don't have to have self-control? No. All the qualifications of a pastor are qualifications for Christians. And so what my prayer is for our members of the church is that we all have the character qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And then I pray for men, that all of the men would be pastor, elder, qualified in our church. And I pray that some of the men would actually have a desire to do the work. Because 1 Timothy 3 says it's a noble task. And so this is a good thing to study. Here's the main point. The main command of the text is in verse 2. What's the main command? Not King James first. If you have King James, just wait. I'll read yours in a second. Uh, main command, if, it's not, if you don't have a King James, what's the main command? To what? Shepherd what? Shepherd who? Shepherd God's flock. Okay, now King James. What, what's the main command? Verse 2? Feed the flock. Okay? Feed the flock, shepherd the flock. There's overlap. The, the more literal translation is shepherd the flock. But if you're going to shepherd the flock and not feed them, are you really a good shepherd? No, right? Maybe the core element of shepherding is feeding. There's more to it than that, but that's probably the main task. And so the King James Version does that, though I do think that's a little limiting on what the word actually means. Okay, that's the main command. Shepherd God's flock if you're a pastor. Now, that's the main idea. That's what we're going to think about today. In our bylaws, here's what it says in our church bylaws. It's good for you to know the bylaws. If you want a copy, just ask me or Barbara and we could run off a copy for you. Every church member should know these. Article 8 says this, the pastor is responsible for leading and equipping the church to function as a New Testament church. He shall be especially concerned to provide leadership in the areas of preaching, teaching, and pastoral care. 
Section 8.02 says this, the pastor shall be the overseer of the work of the church. Is that biblical? Certainly in the bylaws. I think it's biblical, but you know what? Who cares what I think, right? Who cares what I think? We need to look at what the Bible actually says, right? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the Bible actually says here in 1 Peter. Now, it says more than just this, this passage. We're just going to look at one passage this morning. And eventually, as we go through other books of the Bible, I'll teach more on it in future months and years to come. But here's one, at least for now. Now, I have three points to get this passage. If the main point is shepherd the flock, there's three things I want to say. Number, number one, what is the main command? What is it? Number two, how does one do it? Number three, why should one do it? Why should a pastor shepherd the flock? So what is it? Shepherding the flock. How do you do it? Three attitudes for the pastor. And then why should he do it? And then we'll close with application to the church. So what does this mean for the church? Okay. So look at the what, the how, and the why. Number one, what is commanded? Look at verse two again. You said it. Shepherd the flock. Or the King James Version says, feed the flock. Now, that's what they're to do is shepherd it, shepherd the flock. The pastors are supposed to do that. And they are shepherding God's flock. So who is the flock? The flock is who? The church. Now you got to ask another question. Who is the church? The church is the people, right? You don't shepherd a building. You shepherd the people. And now you're shepherding the people. Which people? Just anyone who comes on a Sunday? Maybe if you come three weeks in a row, then you're part of the flock. Who is the flock? The flock are those who submit themselves to the care of the church and the leadership of the church. What do we call that? Membership. You don't have to call it membership. You can call it something else, but that's what it is. The flock, First Southern Baptist Church, is made up of all of the members on the roll. That is who the church is. And so for me as a pastor, my responsibility is to shepherd all of those people. I have 74 on my prayer list. We have a longer list that we're trying to work through. But my responsibility is to shepherd all the members of the church. That's my call. That's my command. That's my directive. I have to answer to God for this. Okay, so shepherd the flock. And who is the flock? The flock are those that Christ purchased with his own what? His own blood, right? Jesus died for these sheep. He laid down his life for these sheep. That's the people that you're supposed to shepherd. If you're a pastor, that's who I'm supposed to shepherd. Is it just those who stay or even the wanderers? Wanderers too. If the shepherd is only shepherding those who are not wandering, how good of a shepherd is he? I mean, I'm only going to shepherd those who shepherd themselves. Well, then why do we need a shepherd, right? The shepherd is to shepherd not just the members who want to stay, but even those who are wandering away. That's part of your responsibility. These members of the church, the flock is so precious to God. And a pastor has to understand that every single member is blood-bought. You don't mess with the members of God's people. You don't mess with the church. You don't mess with the people. You respect them because they were bought by Christ's blood. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, every Christian is greater than John the Baptist. Did you know that? John the Baptist is the greatest among women, Matthew 11. And then Jesus said, the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Now, why are they greater? That's another sermon. But the point here is that they're greater. And so as pastors, we, I, and other pastors need to respect those members and their personal gifts from, the, from Jesus to the church. 
to, to, the, to the pastors in the church. In Ephesians 4, every member is a gift from Jesus to the church. Okay, so the local church is the group of people that the pastor is supposed to shepherd. Okay, those who submitted to the care of the church and to the pastors. They become the, the pastor's immediate family. So do I love other Christians as a pastor? Yes. Do I love other Christians from other churches as a pastor? Should I? Yes. Should I make sure that they're being fed every week and check on them to make sure that other Christians everywhere are being fed every week? No, I can't check on them. Now, I hope they are, and I want them to, but I can't check on them every week because they're not under my care. Just like I have three brothers, and they all have children, I love my nephews and nieces. And if they're ever at my house or around me and they're hungry, I'm going to feed them. But I'm not calling up my nephews and nieces every day to say, hey, have you eaten today? They're not part of my immediate household in that sense, under my, under my fatherly care. In, the same, in a similar way, I'm not saying a pastor is a father here, like a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, but my point here is that in a similar way, the shepherd cares for those in his flock, the members of his church. So when I take out my prayer list, I do pray for the regular attenders as well, just so you know. But, but the care that I'm responsible before God is for the members of the church. I have to care for them because Jesus died for them. You know, one time I was in Los Angeles and uh, we would have, when our church was in, when I was part of a church in Los Angeles, we would have lunch every Sunday. After the church, we just kind of, it was a, a multi-purpose room. We'd just change out all the chairs, put in tables, and we'd eat every week. And uh, a pastor friend of mine came and brought, and we'd get people off the street because we met at a park. We'd get people off the street. A pastor friend came and brought two people off the street who were homeless, sat them down right beside me, or in front of me, during lunch, and said, this is PJ. PJ, this is Bob and Fred. I don't remember their names. Bob and Fred. And he said, Bob and Fred, PJ is your pastor now. And then he left. And I just thought, wait, what? Did I just become their pastor? He just deemed, deemed me pastor right there. You are now under his care because I deemed you so. Is that true? Is that biblical? No, no. Now, should I love them? Love your what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Should I love them? Yes. Should I share the gospel with them? Yes. Should I care for their souls? Yes. As a neighbor. If they're Christians, I'm not only a neighbor, I'm their brother in Christ. Praise God for that. But am I their pastor? No, I'm not. Now, I will love them and I'll care for them. as. Long, but, but if they start straying somewhere and, I, and they never put themselves in the care of the church, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not responsible to care for them the way I'm supposed to care for a member of the church who submitted themselves to the membership of the church. Okay, so here's the point is that members of the church are the ones that pastors are supposed to care for. Which means if you're not which means number 1 that you need to have a you have to have a membership list that's actually accurate. If you for me at least, if I'm going to pastor well, I think members also need to care for each other, so you need to have a list that's accurate for your membership ministry. But as a pastor, I need an accurate list because I'm responsible for that list. And it's not just because they're a name on the list, they're actual real people with real souls and real needs. And I have real responsibilities for them. So if you're not a member of a church and you're a Christian, I encourage you to join a church. I will implore you to join a church. It doesn't have to be this church. I would love it for you to, for you to join this church. But, you know, if you're, you have to join a gospel preaching church. And you should be a member there and, and give your life to those people. The role is not just the 501c3 thing to vote on. That kind of came up in our pastor's Q&A yesterday. That's not the main point of a membership role. If you read Baptist documents that I'm reading with John Lee, our pastoral intern here, 
We're reading Baptist documents from 1697, 1733, and they had membership, and there was no 501c3. There was no IRS, and they still had membership. You know why? It's not about IRS tax codes. It's about the church caring for each other and knowing one another and pastors shepherding their flock. That's what it's about. So I discourage people outside of our church, actually discourage people even inside our church from calling me pastor, but that's a different story. If, you know, I preached at Cal State Long Beach uh, this past week to the students there. They're calling me Pastor PJ. I say, yeah, please just call me PJ. I'm your brother in Christ, and I love you guys. But you don't have to call me pastor. I'm not your pastor. You know. Okay, so, so that's who you're shepherding. But then, what's the command there again in verse 2? To do what? To shepherd the flock. Now, what does shepherding include? Let me give you a list of things that shepherding includes. Let's start with the King James Version. It gives us the first thing about shepherding. What's the command in the King James Version again? Feed the flock. Okay, so what should a pastor do? He needs to feed the flock. How do you feed the flock? Does that mean I have to give you food and open up a food pantry? Is that what it means? No, what do I do? What do I have to do? How do I feed the flock? By preaching the what? The word. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I'm to feed the word. And who's the bread of life? Jesus. I'm going to point you to Jesus. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. And so feeding the flock means teaching and preaching and applying God's word and bringing people to Jesus and pointing you to the chief pastor, Jesus Christ, again and again and again. My, my goal is to help you love Jesus more. Every week, I put Jesus in front of you, I preach him from the scriptures, and I pray that you would love him more and, and taste and see that the Lord is good, because he is. So 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word. In season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And shepherding does take great patience. You know, one of the pastors yesterday was sharing um, during, the, during the, the conference. And he said, you know, and he, he actually did this in another pastor's meeting. He taught us pastors how to confront the homosexuality issue in the culture. So he preached at his church. And I think I listened to it, but he's really gifted he was formerly a lawyer, so he's even talking about law and stuff, but he's, he's preaching about how it's a sin, right? And then how there's grace and there's forgiveness. So it's not like it's the unpardonable sin, but that we have to call it what the Bible calls it and say that Jesus died for them so that if they repent and trust in Jesus, they can be saved, but it's still a sin. But when the Supreme Court decision came out, he went on his Facebook feed. If you, if you don't know what that is, some of you are, what's a Facebook feed? On the internet, there's this thing called Facebook, and you can go through and you can see what your different friends and church members are posting. And um, they had this feature where you could put your picture, you could put a rainbow flag over it. So you could still see kind of through the rainbow and you could see like my face or something. And he'd look at his church members and member, after, he has like a thousand people at his church. But, you know, a, ten, a tender or member after member had rainbow flags over their, their profile pictures. And he was just thinking, aren't they listening to what I've been preaching? And what we say, to, what I'd say to other pastors is, brother, you got to shepherd them patiently. How many of us learn things the first time we hear it? Not often, right? Shepherding is just like parenting. How many times do you tell your kids to be careful with the milk? Right? It's not once. How many, how many, how many spilled glasses of milk have you had in your life? Right, parents? Right? You tell them over and over. That's okay. That's part of shepherding. Feed them. Be patient. But keep going. Keep teaching. Pastors are to be gospel-centered and preach the gospel and preach Jesus. Not only should pastors be preaching and teaching, they should be praying for the flock. 
Do you, do you remember how deacons started in Acts chapter 6? There was a debate, or not a debate, there was a division in the church among widows. The Hebrew widows were being fed, I think, and the, the non-Hebrew widows were being neglected. And so the apostles said, appoint seven men to serve tables as deacons. And then they say in verse 4 of Acts chapter 6, but we will devote ourselves to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word, right? Prayer and the ministry of the word. So pastors need to be praying for their flock regularly. Pray for the flock. And members need to pray for each other, but all the more do I have to do it as a pastor. Also, pastors need to equip and train the flock. Look at Ephesians 4, just briefly. Keep your finger in 1 Peter 5, but turn to Ephesians 4 in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. By the way, Ephesians chapter 4 is the only place in the whole Bible where it calls a pastor a pastor. They're never called pastors anywhere else. They're called elders or overseers. Pastor's okay. It's in Ephesians 4. This is the only place it is. Ephesians 4.11. Jesus gave what to the church? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and then some what? Pastors and teachers. And what are pastors supposed to do according to verse 12? Train who? Train or equip who? The saints, who are the saints? The Christians, right? The members. Equipping the saints for what? The work of the ministry. So who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. What is the pastor doing? Nothing. He's just sitting home and relaxing all day, right? He's on an endless vacation, right? Wrong. What is he doing? He's equipping and training the members to do their ministry. You know who's on the front line of ministry? You are. When you talk to your neighbors, that's the front line. When you're, in your, when you're in the workplace and you're dealing with non-Christians everywhere around you, that is the front line of the kingdom of God confronting the kingdom of darkness. This is not the front line here. This is, let's get back together, let's regroup, let's pray together, let's get encouraged and refreshed and go back out for another week. But this is equipping, and the pastors will be equipping the saints to do discipleship and evangelism and loving their neighbors. Jesus gave pastors to the church to equip them. Well, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter gives us another word in verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you. How? Or with what? Not, not overseeing out of compulsion. So there's oversight. Or let me read the King James Version. It says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the what? Those who have King James Version, what is a pastor doing? Taking the what? Oversight. What does it mean to oversee? It means to, this is not going to sound really profound, to see over, right? To oversee is to look over the top of the flock and look out at the whole flock. Is there water up ahead? Is there a cliff that we're heading towards? Is there a wolf or a pack of wolves coming? Is there one of the sheep that's unzipping itself and all of a sudden under the sheepskin is what? A wolf. The shepherds are to look over the flock all of them, is there any danger that's going to endanger the members of the church and the church as a whole? That's the pastor's job. Oversight. Is he looking over the members as a whole and as individuals to check, to make sure? Now, overseeing involves two things, guiding and guarding. Look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. This is the scariest verse for me as a pastor in the Bible. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It's just uh, maybe two, two books to the left of 1 Peter 5. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Let 
the first part is for you. Actually, this whole verse is for you, but, but there's a part here that I'm trying to pull out in terms of oversight. So here's the command for you from God. What is the command for you? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and what? Submit to them. Okay, that's for you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's not the point I'm drawing out right now. You could take that home and pray on that yourself. But let me read to you why. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they do what? What do they do? They keep watch over your soul. They see over your soul. Oversight. As those who will what? And here's the scary part for me and anyone who would dare to be a pastor. As those who will what? Give an account. You know what that means? Brothers and sisters, look up here for a second. You know what that means? That means that when I stand on Judgment Day, we're all going to stand on Judgment Day, I'm going to have the members of this church and I have to give an account from November 1, 2014, when I started here, until I die or leave here, I have to give an account for how I shepherded every member of this church. How I watched over their soul. I have to answer to King Jesus. That is not... I don't look forward to... I mean, what, I just trust God's grace, right? But that's, that's a scary prospect. That's weighty to be a pastor, right? I have to give an account... I have to answer to God for how I shepherd you and for how your soul was. That, that's, that's the call. Okay? So giving oversight. So how, how do you give oversight? What are, what are pastors supposed to do? They're supposed to guard and guide. We, gu- we guide. How do we guide the church? We guide the church to fulfill the great commission of making disciples. We guide the church with leadership decisions and vision and direction. We guide the church by overseeing the administration of the church. That doesn't mean we do everything. We're accountable for everything. But that doesn't mean we have to do everything personally. We give, we could delegate responsibility. You cannot delegate accountability. Ultimately, we have to answer to God for what we do, and we can't delegate our accountability. But we can delegate responsibility out. So we have to work with fellow pastor elders to, to keep watch over the flock and guide the church so that it keeps growing and is healthy. Not only are they to guide the church, they're to guard the church. Guard the church from who? From wolves. What does 1 Peter 5, 8 say? Who, who, who um, prowls around like a roaring lion? Satan does, right? Does Satan want to destroy this church? Yes. Is he prowling around or one of the demons prowling around to destroy us as a church? Yes. So pastors need to guard the flock. They've got to guard the flock. From Satan, from sin, and from themselves. Are, aren't we made up of sinners? I'm a pastor and I'm a sinner. I'm a member of this church and I'm a sinner. And all the members of this church are sinners. And you know where else the the destruction of this church can come from? From the inside. From my own heart and my sin. Or from a member's heart and their sin. And it it combining and getting stronger and and then breaking the church apart. And so pastors need to oversee and guard the church from Satan, from sin, from wolves on the outside and false teaching, and even sin on the inside. Okay, so that's what to do. Shepherd by oversight. How should you do it? Three attitudes. And this is short, but look at verse 2 and 3. What are the three attitudes for a pastor? In verse 2 it says, overseeing not out of what? Not out of compulsion, but what? Willingly. Or not out of constraint, but, but willingly. In other words, pastors shouldn't be complaining all the time. My church is this and my church is that. You know, sometimes I hang out with pastors and they might say, so how are things going at First Southern Baptist Church expecting lots of complaints? And if I do that, I'd be sinning. If I'm just doing it out of constraint. It's a privilege to be a pastor. Not because every church is 
the healthiest church in the world. It's just a privilege to, to shepherd God's people because Christ died for them, right? And so you do this willingly and not by constraint or not out of compulsion, not just because you have to. Now, in Peter's day, there was persecution. We're going to talk about that just a little bit towards the end of this. But there was persecution in the church. Now, we pray for persecuted Christians here on Sunday nights. And you know what we're almost always praying for when we pray for people? We're almost always praying for which, which, which members of the church when they're persecuted. Who's usually the ones persecuted? The pastors. They're the easiest ones to persecute in a persecuted context, right? You take out the pastor or the pastors, they're, they're the ones with the biggest targets on their back. And so they might just pastor, Peter might be talking to fellow pastors here who are just, ah, I don't want to do this, but I guess I have to, but out of constraint. And Peter's like, even if you die, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So be free. Do it willingly. Who cares if they kill you? What did Jesus say? They might kill you, but not a hair of your head will what? Perish. All they could do is kill you. Big deal. But a hair of your head won't perish. I'll protect you, even when they behead you. Okay, so, so that's the first attitude, is, is a willing, free attitude. Second, second attitude for a pastor in verse 2 is what? Not for what? Not for dishonesty. I like, I like the King James here, so I'm going to read it. Not for filthy what? Lucre, right? Not for filthy lucre. Ah, filthy lucre. Yeah, that's what I want. Some filthy lucre, right? No, pastors shouldn't want filthy lucre. Not for money. You don't do it for the paycheck. You do it not for money, but for what? But eagerly. That's the second attitude. You should want to do it. You know, I didn't want to be a pastor when I was young. When I was 12 years old, I got a sense that God wanted me to be a pastor. And I said, no. You know what I wanted to be? A rich deacon. A rich deacon. I'm just saying it like it was. That's how it was. Now, we didn't grow up in a rich home, but we were, we were, we were middle class in our home. And my dad and mom provided well for our household. My dad provided well for us. And, and my family was always devoted to church. As soon as my parents became Christian, they were there at everything. You know, and when we were kids... Even when we're sick, I'm, I'm, I'd be laying out on the pews, head on my, my mom or dad's lap, just sick as a dog at church. We were at everything. And my dad and me specifically, we'd go to Sunday school early and the family would wake up later and go to the Sunday service. But we were at everything all the time, no matter what. And so, and, and, and my dad was, you know, I hope I'm not embarrassing your dad here, but uh, he was devoted to the church and he would always fill needs, you know, whatever needs were there. And he was a deacon. He was devoted to Christ. And I said, I want to be just like my dad. Sold out to Jesus, sold out to the church, but not poor. Because, and I was young, but all the pastors I knew were poor. And so I was like, Lord, I don't want to be a pastor. Let me just be a rich deacon. I want to be a doctor. I'll be sold out to the church. I'll serve it selflessly, sacrificially, but not as a pastor. Please, Lord, don't make me a pastor. Well, what happened was that when I, when I was 18 and graduated high school, you know what happens when you graduate high school. You're thinking about your life, right? What am I going to do with my career? So that summer, I'm reading my Bible, doing my devotions. And God arrests my soul. He just pours out so much. Like, I, it was almost a euphoric type summer where I'm just so close to God and enjoying him so much that I was so happy. And I wanted everyone to be as happy as I was in God that I was so burdened for the youth group. And like, we'd go to these practices and I'd be like, don't you see how good God is? And I started preaching and teaching, not in like formal settings, but just in conversations. And I started sharing what I was learning. And the burden got so heavy, I couldn't do anything else. And I was like, Lord, okay, fine. I don't care how poor I am. Just make me this happy all the time. And I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go, do whatever you want me to do. 
just keep me happy in you. If, it, if this is what it means to be close to you and you want me to be a pastor, sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And, and, and that's, that's not, I say that not to brag about myself. I, I'm actually saying that I didn't want to do this. You know, I'm actually bragging about God's grace that changed my heart because I, I had greed in my heart. I wanted a, I was a double-minded man. I wanted comfortable life and pastoral ministry. And God said, no, you got you to gotta be singularly focused. And that's what pastors have to do. Forget about the filthy lucre, all right? Have a ready mind. Be, be eager. Number, uh, verse 3, what's next? Pastors are not to be what? Lords over God's heritage, not lording it over them as a dictator. But what should they be? Examples. Or as the King James says, when was the last time you said this word out loud? Ensample. You're to be an ensample of the church. That's what my King James Version says here. But you're to be an example to the flock. And who's the ultimate example of not lording it over, but serving? Jesus, right? Remember the deacons, or not the deacons, the disciples, they're fighting with each other, saying, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, that's good. Go for greatness. But you know what greatness is? Serve. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be the servant. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant, a deacon, diakonos. And if you want to be the greatest, then you become the slave of all. That's greatness. You don't lord it over like the Gentiles do. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so pastors are not to do this, to lord it over. You're a slave. They're not your master. Jesus is your master, but you're their slave. You're their servant. And so that's what pastors are to be before God, slave of all. Praise God that Jesus died for our sins, right? To change us. If you're not a Christian, this is what you need to know. That Jesus Christ is the chief pastor and he didn't come to lord it over you. He is Lord. And he doesn't want to, 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 to um, have you submit to him. But he wants to do it by changing your heart. He does it by loving you, by dying for your sins and rising from the dead. So if you're not a Christian, this is what you need to understand. Jesus died because you're a sinner. And the reason why your sin is such a big deal is because God is holy and he punishes sin. And the wages of sin is eternal death and hell. But Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life for the sheep, to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he rose from the dead so that if you non-Christian friend here this morning will repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, you will become one of his sheep. You'll enter the fold and be one of his people, forgiven of your sins and saved. We have a blessed Savior. That's leadership. Leadership in the Bible is not lording it over, it's service. Okay, so that's how to do it. Do it eagerly, do it freely, and do it with humility and service. That's how you should pastor the church. And that's what you should look for in pastors. And hold me accountable to this. Okay, number three. So that's how. Now let's go to the last one. Why? Why should you shepherd like this? Just very briefly, why? What's the first word in verse one? Not in the King James Version, but in everyone else's translation. What's the first word in verse one? Therefore, that means go back to verse chapter four. Why should you shepherd this way? Because if you go look chapter four, verse 12, what has come upon them? Don't be surprised when what comes on you? The fiery what? The fiery trial. So the church is under fiery trial. They are suffering for Jesus. Look at verse 17 of chapter four. What has come 
to God's household. God's what? Judgment. Now, that's not God's condemning judgment. When God comes to condemn the world in terms of judgment, there's fire. But it also purifies his people. So you have suffering and persecution and you got fire testing the church. And you know what happens when you get tests? Some people prove to be real Christians and come out like gold. And some people fail the tests and don't really have true saving faith in Jesus. They don't lose their salvation. They never really were saved. And how do you know if someone's really saved? They persevere in faith under trial. I listen to your stories, brothers and sisters, and the physical suffering many of you go through, and the relational suffering and pain, and I hear you still trusting Jesus. You know what that means? You're passing the test. And your faith is being refined like gold. And you know what? Pastors need to encourage saints because all of us get discouraged from time to time. And you need shepherds who are going to shepherd the flock to make sure their faith doesn't fail. Why? What's my job as a pastor? And what's our job as a church? My job as a pastor is to make sure every one of our members gets safely home to heaven. Now, of course, that's ultimately God's power, not mine, right? But God uses me and other and even church members to help each other endure to the end. That's my job. My job is to make sure that if I don't die before you and you die before me, that at your funeral, all the way up until your funeral, I have shepherded you well so that you make it trusting and loving Jesus. That's, that's, that's it. So that's why I need to shepherd, because there's testing in the churches. Number two reason, second reason why, go to verse one, because Peter's the one exhorting us. And who's Peter? Look at what Peter, Peter describes himself here with three things in verse one. He's a fellow elder. I like that. Peter's a fellow elder. Have you ever had, I don't want to embarrass anyone. Well, they're not here anymore at this church, so they never joined this church. They visited for a while. But um, when my wife was pregnant with City, I shouldn't have said that because now it's going to put a timeline for some of you. Um, Someone else was pregnant for the first time and was giving my wife, who's on her fourth, bearing her fourth child, all this pregnancy advice. You know what that's like, right? They're reading up on, on the internet and like, oh, this is how you do pregnancy and this is how you do childbirth. And this person who's never given birth, but they're pregnant, is giving my wife advice on, on child rearing, on pregnancy, on delivery. And we just laughed. We're just like, okay, we just listen and we grin with a big smile. And then we let her, uh, yeah, then she, she was there during the delivery of, of City and she, her, her jaw was on the floor, you know, she was like, oh my goodness, you know, and we laugh at her now because she abandoned all of her advice. And, and she, you know, we look back and she's like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Because you've never been through it, right? You just, you just never have. When I, when I want to give my wife a hard time, I say, pregnancy is not that bad. And then she, you know, puts her hand appropriately on my throat, right? As she should. But um, it's the same thing with, uh, in, some, in similar, similar ways, that's what pastoring is like. You know, you know who understands pastors best? Fellow pastors. Because they, they get the pressure. They get the pressure. And so, why should I listen to Peter? Because he's a fellow what? He's a fellow pastor. He knows the trials. You know, everyone has an opinion on how people should do pregnancy or parenting or pastoring. But fellow pastors, they get the pressure. They know what it's like. And so, listen to them. Okay, so he's a fellow elder. Not only that, he's a witness to the sufferings of the Messiah. He's a witness. That means he's an apostle, because the apostles were eyewitnesses. And he witnessed it, which means it really happened. He's an eyewitness. Did Jesus really die or not? Did he really rise from the dead? Yes or no? Were you there? How do you know it's true? Because eyewitnesses who were there recorded it. 
And Peter was an eyewitness. Just like George Washington, you believe he's the first president. You weren't there. But eyewitnesses were. And there's historical records. Same thing with Jesus. So why should I pastor with humility and eagerness and freedom? Why? Because Jesus died and he rose. Why did he suffer? First Peter 3.18. He suffered for our sins to bring us to God. Praise God for the gospel. You know why I'm a pastor and why I need a pastor? Well, why I should? Because Jesus died and rose because of the gospel. That's why you pastor well. Because Jesus died and rose and Peter saw it. Third reason, verse four, last, last part here. Verse four. Third reason why you should pastor well and faithfully. Verse four says, when the chief shepherd appears, the chief pastor, you'll receive what? The crown of glory that doesn't fade away, that never fades. You do it because when Jesus comes, he's coming with a reward. Yes, I have to give an account, but he's coming with a reward if I faithfully serve. And that's why pastors don't live. Pastors don't live for the approval rating. You know, it's not like the polls for politicians. You don't live for the approval ratings of, you know, the populace. There's a chief pastor who's judging me. And he's going to come with a reward if I'm faithful. And if I'm not, I'm going to have to answer for that as well. But that's who you're trying to please as pastors. And that's who you should demand that I try to please is Jesus Christ as I look at the Bible. We receive a crown of glory. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chief pastor. Senior pastors are really not senior. They're senior assistant pastors because Jesus is the true senior pastor and pastors need to follow them. Okay, that's my sermon to myself and you hold me accountable to that. Just briefly, um, what should you do? You should support your pastors. You should pray for your pastors, current and future ones. You should follow them as they follow Christ. And when pastors don't follow Christ, don't follow them, right? Only when they're following Christ should you follow your pastors. And check them. Check your pastors to make sure that they're faithfully shepherding the flock. You know why? Because if a a pastor is faithfully following Jesus and you're not following the pastor, who are you not following? Jesus. Get that? If I'm faithfully following Jesus and you're not following me, then you're not following Jesus. Now, if I'm not faithfully following Jesus, you should say, get off that train right away, right? Don't follow me when I'm not following Jesus. But if I am faithfully following Jesus in leading and that leadership is rejected, that's actually a tacit rejection of Jesus' leadership. Not because I'm Jesus, I'm not. I can err. But if I'm in line, then then that's where support should come in. So here's what you need to do, brothers and sisters. You need to be like the Bereans who always check the Bible, right? Always check if it's so. Have a critical mind, but not a critical spirit. Critical mind is, is thinking about the Bible. Is it really biblical? Critical spirit is just more of, you can't really convince critical spirit because it's, it's more of an attitude than, than, than thinking about what the Bible says. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, not to just take everything I say. That's not helpful either. I need to equip you to evaluate me. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of church family. I thank you for the gift of a church family here. What a blessing it is to be a member at First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower for me. And I think it's a blessing for all members because we have a church family. I want to thank you for all the pastors who have invested in me and helped me and shepherded me. And I want to pray, Father, that you'd help me. We want to pray. I, we want to pray that you'd help me to pastor well. We want to pray that you'd raise up other pastors who would shepherd the flock well here in this church. And we pray that we would have discernment as a church to correct and correct me when I, when I go out of line from the Bible. 
And we pray, Father, that we would have a, a um, that we'd all be on the same page under the chief pastor, Jesus, as we try to follow your Bible as best we can. Thank you, Father, for this word and for this time. Bless our church, God. And Lord Jesus, you're our chief shepherd. You're our chief pastor. Lead us, feed us, and bring us, continue to bring us towards health as a church family. And add to our church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.